When you've gone to the supermarket, picked up the dry cleaning, hit the gym, or done any other routine errand in recent years, you may have noticed that niche healthcare providers have been setting up shop in storefront settings alongside these everyday establishments. It's a relatively new trend, bringing medical care into retail locations closer to those who need it, apart from a traditional hospital or university campus. On this episode, we'll learn about an emerging asset type in a tactical conversation with leaders from a healthcare provider at the forefront of a strategy known as MedTail. Davidas, in our real estate strategy, we think probably 50% like retailers and 50% like healthcare providers. That's Peter Berkowitz, Group Vice President of Real Estate Development and Facilities for Davida Kidney Care a global company that operates dialysis clinics and home care for people with kidney disease. DaVita provides complex and life-saving treatments, helping patients process water and toxins from their blood when their kidneys no longer function naturally, a specialty that serves hundreds of thousands of patients and an industry worth tens of billions of dollars annually. It is quite an intricate business, but every single clinic is different. And that's Prince Reed, Vice President of Facilities and Asset Management, who is responsible for all of the fixed physical assets, repair and maintenance of DeVita's clinics, and specialized healthcare operations. Coming up, we dropped in on a DeVita corporate conference with guests and an audience from the company to examine a new formula for healthcare, retail, and, of course, real estate. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and I'm delighted this week to be with our friends from DeVita at the beautiful Margaritaville Resort outside of Houston, Texas. And joining us now is Peter Berkowitz. Peter, welcome. Thank you, Spencer. Good to be here. Great to have you. And then we're joined by Prince Reed. Prince, thanks for coming out. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, and, and thanks for the two of you coming out today. So, Peter, not all of our listeners are familiar with uh, DaVita Kidney Care. Tell us uh, what DaVita does. Sure. Yeah, so uh, DaVita is uh, one of the world's leading kidney care companies. We've got roughly 2,800 dialysis clinics across the United States. We also operate in 10 other countries internationally. We've got about uh, 60,000 teammates, and we're uh, in the Fortune 200. So we, we may be the largest healthcare company you've never heard of, uh, but we, are, uh, we cover all aspects of kidney care, obviously the, the majority of which is dialysis much of which happens in our clinics, but we also have a huge home dialysis business. We work with hospitals and nursing homes as well to provide dialysis to their patients and, uh, and caregivers. I'm going to get a little personal for a second. So my dad had to use dialysis, and um, he was in New York City, and um, he had to go 3 in the morning uh, to get his dialysis because it was that much demand. Uh, but I thank God it was there, right? So one more big-picture question how big is the dialysis market? I mean, it's, it's got to be, you know, enormous and unserved in some ways. Uh, I, I don't know if, I wouldn't say it's un, unserved in the U.S. Uh, there are countries around the world that are underserved as it relates to, to dialysis, but I think within the U.S., quite well served. Uh, DaVita is just over a $12 billion business, and it's a relatively concentrated industry, which totals around 36 to $42 billion in terms of U.S. dialysis services. Prince, the dialysis process is a very special process. We've had episodes of the show on medical office, and we know about redundant power. We know about extra needs for water and uh, other things. But why don't you tell us in your own words just the complexity of the buildings that service your dialysis units? 
Every clinic is different. Uh, if we could build to spec everything, um, it would be a much easier conversation, but we don't always build a spec. We acquire a lot of our properties. We've got requirements for HVAC 24 hours, even though people are not in the buildings, the space has to be conditioned all the time. We've got some that require generator backup, some that don't. We've got water constantly running through the facilities, which um, I remember my predecessor said that we're the one business that brings water into the building everywhere else. We try to keep water away from the buildings. <laughs> so it is quite an intricate business, but every single clinic is different. Um, so Peter said we've got 28 active, um, and we've got 2,800 different challenges every day. There you go. So uh, just one aspect of it we talked about in the pre-show, just the water that you give is to be like the cleanest possible water imaginable. Tell us about that. Well, actually, some of our biomed folks are in the room, so I don't want to misspeak. But essentially, as you said, Spencer, we do need to treat our water extensively. So we bring in tap water, domestic tap water. Uh, it goes through multiple layers of filters and then goes through a, a, an RO or a reverse osmosis system uh, before it's even pumped out into the clinic where it's mixed with dialysate and put through the machines to help cleanse the blood of our patients. So the water Parts of that water come into the body of the patient, as well as impurities coming out of the patient. And you got to make sure that that water on dialysate is absolutely pure and clean so you're not harming patients. Let's talk about where your locations are. Uh, I've been in and around the medical office building for about 25 years, medical office business. And most of the facilities 25, 30 years ago were typically located on hospital campuses. And now what's happened is it seems that the business is fractured. People are putting the medical office buildings or dialysis closer to where the patient is. What are your, what's your point of view? Yeah, I think like many parts of healthcare, that the point of delivery is moving closer to where people live. And we've talked about the, the retailization of healthcare, uh, which I think is true in, in lots of ways. DeVita's, in our real estate strategy, we think probably 50% like retailers and 50% like healthcare providers. So yes, the retailization of healthcare. So we do actually locate near medical campuses because we still have doctors. So uh, each and every clinic has a medical director uh, and has a set of patients that they want around on those patients. They prefer to be close to where their offices might be. So we do have uh, a fair amount of our portfolio close to medical, uh, medical campuses or hospital campuses. But we also want to be close to where our patients live. So we're in a lot of retail strip centers. We're in standalone pad sites. Uh, we're in office buildings. We actually occupy all kinds of different assets uh, that are convenient to both our medical providers and our patients. Even industrial parks sometimes. Sometimes. Even industrial parks. The nice part is we don't necessarily need to be at Maine in Maine. Uh, if our patients are referred to the clinic, they find the clinic. Uh, the doctors find the clinic. We don't need to have the, the highest visibility, the big billboard sign, anything of that nature. Uh, but we do want to be convenient. We want to have convenient parking, convenient access for caregivers, uh, and make it easy for people to come in and out. So is DaVita part of any one healthcare system, or you service multiple systems? Multiple. We are an independent, publicly traded company. We're not associated with any one network, uh, but we have partnerships with many, if not all, uh, major healthcare providers around the country. And some of your facilities, while they might be standalone, some are within the hospitals themselves? Some are, and then we actually do what we call our, our hospital services group. So we actually perform, I call it insourced dialysis functions inside a hospital. So we bring in the staffing, the biomedical machines, et cetera, and actually do the dialysis practice for the hospital in their facility. Um, and then in other cases, we are just co-located in their building. Let's broaden the lens here into what you called med-tail, medical and, and retail together. It's obviously a bigger space than kidney care. Uh, you have uh, minor 
plastic surgery, you have other things that you can do on an out, outpatient basis. How do you see this business as a whole, but in light of the real estate reality, there's not a lot of retail space out there that's available. Yeah, I would, I would say that trend is is probably more a challenge for us than it is an opportunity, honestly. Uh, we've always been more of a, a, a retail-ish medical business in that people come to our centers, they receive treatment two or three times a week, and then go home. So they may be doing other things along the way. They're, we were in retail centers, we're in sort of more classic uh, retail locations. With the advent of more urgent cares, more uh, of the things you just talked about, smaller format healthcare, it's just more competitive um, in the market to find good real estate. So when we're looking to relocate clinics or to do new Greenfield de novo clinics, uh, oftentimes the competition for space is uh, higher than it used to be or higher than it has been in past times. During the downturn, that, that was good for us. In terms of when the real estate downturns in real estate, that's great for us to go renegotiate extensions and renewals with landlords. Uh, when there's a lot of competition for that same storefront space, it's a little bit tougher. The one benefit we have is that we don't necessarily need main and main type locations with super high visibility. Um, as long as we're convenient to the patients, convenient to the doctors and caregivers, uh, people will find their way to the clinic. Uh, so visibility isn't as important as convenience of parking, entry access, egress, ingress, things like that. Um, but yeah, it's competitive out there for sure in, in certain markets. From a facility standpoint, one of the beauties of having an outpad uh, or having your own control of the all four walls is you control all four walls. But once you go into a strip center where you might have a storefront or you go into an office building where you're a tenant, you don't control the building. What kind of unique challenges might that pose? Now you want me, you want to give me PTSD, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those challenges are many from the HVAC that's sitting on the top of the roof that we need to go service that we can't go service until we get permission to get on the roof. Um, and then when, once you get on the roof, um, then you're forever responsible for any penetrations that were probably there already um, that they now blame you for. We have to deal with snow in the winter in those places where uh, we deal with winter seasons. The other retailers that open at 9 o'clock, it's fine if the snow removal service doesn't get there until 8. We have patients that show up at 4 in the morning, as you mentioned. And so uh, those are just a couple of the larger challenges that we have, but there are many dealing with that, yeah parking, people parking, and the patient's parking spaces, like yeah. all kinds of things. Water, I think, is the other biggest water, one, right? Just, you, know. Now, you never want water on the second floor. Yeah, Anything yeah. Uh, is, is, just creates all kinds of challenges. Well, the, the parking thing, and I, I, hearkening back to your gym days, uh, is a major issue because people use the gyms early in the morning and in the afternoon. It's that middle period where they don't, and I'm sure you had more than one fight over that issue. We did, many, many times. Uh, and, and with DaVita, it's a little less of an issue. A, the amount of parking is much less, um, but they are there for three or four hours if they do drive, right? Um, but we also need ambulance access to drop off and pick up certain patients. We've got caregivers who come and drop off and pick up, wheelchair access. So there's all kinds of things around getting to the entry. Uh, sometimes the number of parking spaces is our least, uh, our least issue, but certainly access and sharing that with other tenants can be tricky. We all know that we're in a tough real estate market today. Uh, the economy is actually pretty good, which is actually a problem for real estate. Uh, but nevertheless, the, the real estate market uh, is tough, particularly from a capital markets perspective, hard to finance things, hard to buy things. But if you're a liquid company, uh, there is great opportunity. How do you see it, Peter? Interestingly, I think our real estate strategy and our office strategy 
probably mirrors more of the demands that we have. Uh, we are not a speculator in real estate, if you will. We do self-development. So we do buy land and build and develop our own clinics where it's appropriate. Uh, but we don't do that as a matter of an investment strategy. We build for what our clinics need, for what our patients need, and for what our teammates need. Uh, and where we can do that effectively in the current economy, we absolutely take advantage of it. Um, and we're in the process of reshuffling our portfolio. So we've got areas where we're consolidating, areas where we're growing, and it's an interesting time to negotiate with landlords because in certain submarkets, we've got a phenomenal leverage position and others we don't. Uh, but it's always an interesting conversation, and so we keep a very close eye on what's happening in the macroeconomic um, environment, but not so much for speculating or buying and selling real estate quite as much, other than the clinics we build for ourselves and, and sell for as much profit as we can. When you say you sell your clinics for profit, you sell the individual clinics? The, where we build and develop. So as a real estate practice, we probably, for, I would say on average, our portfolio, we've got 10 to 15% of any year's new openings are standalone build build to suit clinics. And we try to build to suit those for ourselves. So we developed our own in-house development capability seven, eight years ago. Um, and over that time frame, I've built clinics all over the country where we've, again, bought the land, entitled it, built our own uh, built to suit buildings. And then we sell lease back those buildings and recycle that capital to do it again. Given your credit, um, notwithstanding the challenges in the market, sale leasebacks are often cheaper than doing corporate bonds these days because you have this arbitrage of great credit and not a lot of good real estate. So you are seeing the sale leaseback market pretty vibrant today? Uh, yeah, I think uh, cap rates have not performed as well as you'd like you know, in the last year or so, certainly. Uh, but over the last five or six years, yeah, on a whole, that whole strategy has been very effective for us. Mm -hmm. So, Prince, let me ask you uh, a COVID question, if you don't mind. So um, I don't know that there's any service that's more essential than yours. But nevertheless, there are challenges of keeping the lights on during a pandemic. Tell us about what you did during that period. Yeah, for maybe the first um, couple of weeks uh, when people were trying to figure out what was going on and what was COVID and how was it going to impact, uh, we had a mild stoppage uh, while people tried to figure things out. Um, shortly after that, uh, Pete was able to uh, get to the powers that be and say, look, we can't stand down. We've got to keep our buildings operating. And that requires us to be on site in the spaces. And so um, while others, um, you know, there's a CSUN travel, there was a CSUN access, we ramped up. Um, if, if there's any ramping up, um, our, our access, um, the way that we did our work, uh, that, that if that meant we had to go in after hours and uh, so that we weren't there when patients were there, even more so than normal. Um, so our teams really went into high gear to make sure that we um, uh, were flexible enough to get in and, and do the work that we needed to do to keep those buildings open. And some markets like New York, we had to get special dispensation even to go into there. Um, but we worked with our legislators and got the letters and things that we needed to so we can get in and provide that service. I think this is the time for the shameless plug for CBRE, right? Uh, they're our partner in facilities management, and they really did step up. It's a plug I'm happy to make, particularly as it relates to COVID. Uh, the technicians are out there after hours in the vans doing what needed to be done for our patients and teammates. It was frankly heroic from my perspective. So they did a great job. Well, thank you for that. My and, pleasure. And we're proud of that. And, and listen, I, I, matter of fact, I mean, there's a lot of uh, heroes in this whole thing. Um, and they all deserve it, but it's the people behind the scenes that don't get the credit they do, because not everybody's a doctor, not everybody's a nurse. A lot of people are just technicians keeping the building moving, and you, we have a lot of them here at CBRE. You got a lot of them at DeVita, so um, kudos to all of them. 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And our biomed technicians, right? Those folks are in-house. So we insource and, and in-house our own biomed techs uh, just because that's so critical to what we do every day. And they had to be there as well, making sure the machines were, were kept up, the water systems were working. So yeah, a lot of people really did step up. Any long-term lessons uh, for how you manage facilities because of the crisis? Yeah, there were things that we learned. Our team is dispersed. Um, our buildings are dispersed. And so things like um, remoting in to deal with ventilation. Yeah. Uh, we realized there was one market that we hadn't converted um, for all kinds of reasons to BMS where we couldn't control those. And so we had to get people in. Yeah. And so it just reminded us of why it was so important to be able to access things that way. Um, and so we ramped up those efforts to get those uh, facilities online. Same thing with any of our disasters. We're able to get to those things remotely and uh, electronically and through smart programs. We realized that when you can't get there, you got to figure out how to get into the spaces. Um, and so we have doubled our efforts um, to be able to remote into places. A lot of businesses that have uh, bricks and mortar presence, especially with your retail background, you know that there was real concern about technological disruption and the technological disruption in, in traditional retail uh, was the internet. Um, other disruptions are buying and selling on my phone. But Prince, you made a very interesting point there that technology, while you could consider it a disruptor, actually can be an enormous advantage to bricks and mortar. Uh, how do you see it? I love gadgets. And so <laughs> um, I love having the latest toys. And so I'm always pushing and asking for um, what are the next tools and innovations that we can use uh, to give us data and analytics to help us better serve, help us better predict um, the outcome of, you know, when is a system going to fail? When should we replace it? Um, how effective is the service model? Um, so I'm always asking and looking. In fact, um, in a couple weeks or next week, um, I'm attending an innovation and collaboration forum to talk about ways to use technology better in the facilities market. Um, as, as much as is out there, um, it hasn't evolved as much as we'd like to see it. Um, there's people that talk about it all the time. And so I'm, I'm looking for the thing that is uh, going to turn the corner for it. Uh, but I'm all over trying to find it. The other piece of that puzzle has to be cost savings. Right. One of the biggest challenges in healthcare is the conflict between rising costs, whether that's labor, rents, uh, energy, power, whatever it may be, um, we're constantly battling against inflation on the cost side. And then um, most of our revenue comes from the government. And th those rates are, are, are regulated by Medicare and Medicaid. And therefore, we're constantly trying to find new ways to innovate, to uh, continue to deliver the services we can and do at the rates we're given. So anything around innovation for me, Prince and I always had this conversation. He's like, I want the latest things. I'm like, great, what does it save us? How does it save us money? How does it make us more efficient? So if it does, and again, BMS systems are a perfect example. LED lighting is great, right? What's a BMS? Building management system. Yep. Yeah, so automated building management systems for HVAC management, lighting, et cetera. Those things are uh, very effective capital investments because they help save money and you get a great ROI on those and you're, you're leveraging tech. So if it can do both, absolutely, that's important. Let me push the hypothetical one step further if I could. I guess if there's any one area that potentially is disruptive, it is home care, home dialysis. How do you see it? We find home to be a, an integral part of of delivering kidney care. So one of the advantages that we feel DeVita has in the industry is that we're one of the few that can provide a truly end-to-end uh, -end 
kidney care experience for patients through that progression of kidney care. So kidneys tend to uh, devolve over time or the functionality devolves over time and people lose kidney function over time. And, and our goal is to prevent people from ending up in dialysis sooner. So education upstream, partnership with nephrologists, keeping people healthier and out of the hospital longer. Um, when and if they do end up in dialysis, we educate them on all modalities, including home. So peritoneal dialysis, home dialysis versus your traditional in-center dialysis. And we feel that that's a, a really appropriate and sometimes much better modality for a lot of patients. And we promote it as such and try to educate patients and find what's the best modality for them. Uh, to the extent we can get to one in four, call it 25% of patients on home, we think that's a fantastic goal. It tends to be better for the patients. They can spend more time at home with family. They're out of the hospital longer. And we think that's the right answer for a lot of patients. And so we're very supportive of it. From a real estate perspective, our home clinics look a little bit more like traditional doctor's offices. So it's a different a smaller footprint. It's a lot less complexity, less water. Yeah. You don't need all those water systems and filters. So it's a much simpler build out for us and a much more capital efficient uh, one for folks where that modality is appropriate. Does it save a lot of money doing it at home? Uh, insofar as the labor cost is a little bit lower, it saves a little bit. Yes. Yeah, it does. But it's really more about the patient experience, honestly. Um, yeah, the economics are good, but I think what's more important is, again, what's right for the patient. Certain patients, it, it works just much better with their lifestyle. If they're fully employed, they're still working, they have families to take care of, it's just easier to do it at home. Um, if their body and everything can work and it and works the support for that. system is there for And them. they have caregivers at home. So it's more about the patient. But yeah, I think in the end, the, the square footage of the, the facility is a little bit smaller for the amount of um, called treatments per square foot. Um, and the, the labor costs a little bit lower because they're not coming in three times a week. They're coming in call it once or twice a month. You just opened the door to labor, to the people that are working in your clinics, people that are working on the facilities. It's no secret that uh, there's a huge labor shortage in America today. Unemployment rate is uh, near record lows and wages are going up. And, and certainly I hope unemployment stays low and wages continue to go up, but it does pose quite a challenge to our businesses. How do you see it, Prince? One of the things that worries me the most, and one of my colleagues um, is, is, is working on that solution for us, and that is the challenge with skilled labor. And so as we're trying to maintain uh, facilities and build facilities and renovate facilities, uh, we continually find it a challenge in finding skilled labor. Um, we don't know what happened to all the folks that left the labor market um, during the pandemic. We don't know where they went. Uh, we wish we could find them and bring them back um, because it's been quite a challenge uh, finding young people that are interested in that kind of work. And uh, so if there's anything that keeps me up at night, that would be the thing that I worry about a lot. DaVita actually has been more focused actually on developing nursing talent. So we've created a number of partnerships with nursing colleges uh, across the country and creating internship and uh, residency programs within our clinics to train more nephrology nurses, which is another area of shortage uh, for us in, in the labor area. And I think we, we spend a lot of time actually, and you've asked us about this too, uh, spending a lot of time on culture, right? And making DaVita a differentiated type of place to work. We say that we are community first and a company second, and we try to live that way. We call ourselves the village. Our CEO is called the mayor, right? We have, we have these neighborhoods. Of, got neighborhoods. So we, we have a lot of these things, but really what it's about is creating that sense of community uh, and family, really, amongst our caregivers, amongst everybody who works at DaVita. And I think if we can create that type of differentiated atmosphere, uh, it creates a much better place to work. It creates better care for our patients. And it's just a lot more fun to uh, operate in a culture like that. Pete talked about the community. It's really about a culture. And I remember when I was 
looking at this job versus others back in the day, and I saw the core value of fun, and that was what stood out for me. You know, all the others, pretty pretty similar at other companies, um, but I said if a company is concerned about making sure that you enjoy the ride, mm-hmm. that's where I want to be. And so, um, as much stress as sometimes the job can be. We enjoy the ride. We have a great time. We have a great community, a great family uh, environment. And I, and I think that's even more of a, important in the clinics. Again, I mean, I think that it's great for us. We're all very distributed. So having that connectivity is really important. In the clinics, it's tough work every day delivering dialysis. And a lot of our patients eventually pass away. There's a lot of emotional stress. It's hard. Um, and so I think having that sense of fun and community in the clinics is also really important. We have a, another saying at DeVita, which is we care for each other with the same intensity that we care for our patients. And I think we live that pretty much every day. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you uh, cracked the door open just slightly for me yesterday. We are staying here at Margaritaville Resort near Houston, Texas. And um, I think it speaks for itself. We had a good time last night. Indeed. In the spirit of Jimmy Buffett, we uh, we honor him this week. Yes, <laughs> yes. The only thing that was wrong with Jimmy Buffett, he didn't sing a song about Mai Tais. Then it would have been better. But nevertheless, margaritas are other people's uh, choice. But they were very good margaritas. Thank you very much, Mr. Margaritaville. I'm just going to ask both of you for your final thoughts. Prince, first, how do you see the business changing in the next five to ten years? I'll start with um, the reason that I ended up in, in, in healthcare facilities specifically, because I did facilities other ways, um, was because my, both of my parents were aging and I was in and out of clinics and hospitals. And, um, and I really felt like DaVita was above and beyond what people receive everywhere else. And so that's why I'm here specifically at DaVita and in healthcare, um, because I feel like I'm making a difference doing the thing that I love to do. Um, and I, I see great things. I see upside for um, this team, the business that we're doing. Um, and I think we are differentially better than any other provider out there. Um, my brother-in-law is a physician, and he confirms that every time I talk to him. He sees what happens at other dialysis providers, and he says it all the time. You guys are doing the right thing. Keep it up. All right. Uh, Peter, final thoughts? Talking about the future and where we're headed, we had a new vision statement that came out this year that our CEO and a team of leaders put together, which is an unwavering pursuit of a healthier tomorrow. That's really what it's about, is can we create a healthier experience for our patients? Can we create a better healthcare system? I think any of us and I'm sure those of you who have been in the healthcare system or have had loved ones go through the healthcare system, it's not always the smoothest journey. Um, and I think our goal is to reinvent that journey and just make it better across that continuum of care. Uh, new IT platforms that give you a unified view of the patient. Um, great clinics that are in good condition so that our teammates and our patients feel like this is a place where they're going to get great care. Um, great training and culture for our teammates who make people feel cared for. Um, That's, I think, the difference in healthcare. There's various technologies, whether it's AI or any of the automation stuff in the buildings to help improve those experiences. That's the ultimate goal, though, is how do you make the experience of healthcare smoother and more seamless from end to end, whether you're just having beginnings of chronic kidney disease or whether you're on the transplant list. These are all areas where DaVita can play, will play, and will help people live better in the long run. And hopefully in that process, we'll set an example to reinvent healthcare. So on behalf of the Weekly Take, what a delight to be with my friends from DaVita today, starting with Prince Reed, Vice President of Facilities and Asset Management, DaVita Kidney Care. Prince, great job. Thanks for coming out. Thanks, Spencer. Had a great time. 
and Peter Berkowitz, Group Vice President, Real Estate Development and Facilities, DaVita Kidney Care. Peter, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to our guests and a shout out to their DaVita teammates in the audience. We thank you for joining us as well. For more on Medtail and related content, please visit our website, cbre.com slash the weekly take. We'll be back with more highly tactical conversations, subjects from property management and data to higher education and student housing and more. We'll also feature thought leadership conversation with lots of valuable takeaways, including a prominent professor in Silicon Valley Innovation Consulting with a new book on growth strategy and business disruption, an update on CBRE's annual global fit-out guide, and other timely topics that we've got in our production pipeline. So stay tuned and don't forget to share this episode and subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.